feel like I want to fly away, don't you? <laughs> Maybe it's just sitting right here with all the surround sound around me and people singing at the top of their lungs. But right there is a great spot. If you didn't have a great spot, you need to come right up here and sit when we sing. It's wonderful. Wonderful. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus and Nazarene. I find myself doing that day after day, year after year. The more I read the text, the more amazed I am in the presence of Jesus, the Nazarene, in Christ alone. My hope is found. Thank the Lord for his amazing hope. Do you have hope today? I mean, somebody could have walked in here needing hope. You just need some hope. You feel like you've had such a battle and you're tired and you need hope. In Christ alone, my hope is found. We're talking the theme transformed from Passover to Pentecost, examining Acts chapter 1, a little bit of chapter 2, looking at the coming of the Holy Spirit, what God did for His church in birthing that church, empowering that church, what He does for us, our personal application from the coming of the Holy Spirit, the ascension of our Lord, the instructions He left us, and the transformation He wants to make in us. Jesus has just told them that he will give them power. They will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon them. And they will be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Verse 9 of Acts 1. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Again in Luke chapter 24, hear the word of the Lord. Verse 50 says, When he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, Jesus lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Mark 16, 19 says, After the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was taken up into heaven and he sat at the right hand of God. Jesus gave the apostles their instructions and all of his followers their instructions and then he took his place. He took his place. I have been preaching a long time and I don't remember preaching a sermon specifically on the ascension of Jesus. Now, it's true, my memory's not as good as it used to be. And I could have, in these 42 years, actually preached on the ascension, but I know I've preached this passage, but I don't think I ever preached a sermon on the ascension. And yet, when I go back and look at it, the ascension mentioned here in Luke, in Mark, 
also mentioned by Peter in that great sermon on the day of Pentecost. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of the fact, exalted to the right hand of God. He has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand and I, until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The Apostle Peter quotes that text from the Psalms when he talks about the ascension of Jesus to the right hand of the Father. Stephen was the first martyr of the church. It was inevitable that they would stone him in the streets of Jerusalem that day for blasphemy, they said. But just about the time he was to die, Stephen looked up and he opened his mouth and said, Look. I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Most of the time, Jesus is pictured sitting at the right hand of God. He is resting after his work. He said it is finished on the cross and he sits in majesty at the Father's right hand. But someone once said that when Stephen looked up and he was about to die, the Lord Jesus in heaven rose from his throne to receive by standing the first martyr of the church. Jesus loves us that much. Not only might he stand to receive us, but he descended to make a way for us to be with him. It is a great truth, this truth of the ascension. And I want to impress it on you today. I want your eyes to be drawn upward. Like that movie Up. The man in all his trouble, the old man, grumpy fellow. He won't even treat a Boy Scout right. But he has those balloons, and when the trouble comes, he just releases the balloons and lifts that house right off of its place where they don't want him anymore, and he goes to the place he always dreamed of going. They are looking up. I want you to embrace the truth of the ascension today. I want you to embrace what it means God didn't have to do this with Jesus. It's the same here as it was with the empty tomb. Jesus could have got out of that tomb without them rolling the stone away. We know that because he came through the walls and doors, even though they were shut. God didn't have to raise Jesus invisibly in front of them all into heaven. He did so because they needed to see him go, and we need to see him too. We need the testimony of the ascension of Jesus. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. He is received into glory. He is not a little God, this one whom we worship. 
He is not a little below the Father, as I've heard some people describe him. God's Son and our Savior is fully God. All the prerogatives of deity are his. He only issues the great commission to go into the world and make disciples after he says, all authority is given unto me in heaven and on earth. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. And this is the doctrine of the Trinity, which is an inevitable conclusion from anyone who begins to look at the Scriptures. For God Almighty is one, revealed to us in three ways, as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, each of them fully possessing the prerogatives of deity. Jesus laid aside those prerogatives for a time. His omnipotence, his omnipresence, his omniscience. The Bible says that he emptied himself. He humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. And his ascension to glory is necessary so that he can send the Holy Spirit while he is incarnate. The Son of God is limited in time and space. Sometimes he disappears and the disciples can't find him and they are hysterical sometimes looking for him and the crowd is wondering where he's gone. Jesus says, I'm not going to leave you comfortless. I'm going to send someone to you and he will be with you forever. He will be with you always. He will be with you in every circumstance, in every situation, every believer, every generation, no matter where they are on the face of the earth, the Holy Spirit is present within them to empower them for the work that they must do, for the challenge that is before them. That's the coming of the Holy Spirit, the ascension is the climactic word, this is my son. He is Lord of all. And we are to believe it and receive it fully as the truth just like the crucifixion and the resurrection, hence the ascension, declares the majesty of our Lord. So embrace the truth of the ascension. Embrace heaven as your destination. Would you do that? It is good for you to think about heaven. It is good for your eyes to be drawn upward. It is good for you to look forward to that day that you're going to be with Jesus. Paul talks about the third heaven. He says, I was in the third heaven. The first heaven is this breath we breathe, this atmosphere around us. The second heaven is all the rest of space, the solar systems and galaxies. And the third heaven is the the abode of God where God Almighty dwells. And Paul says, I was caught up to the third heaven. I don't know if I was in the body or not in the body. And I saw things in paradise that go beyond words. That's what he said. Our eyes are drawn upward when we think about God, his abode, and what he's done for us. An American aviator died in 1941, a mid-air collision. His name was John McGee. He was 19 years old. He's the one who wrote this. 
Oh, I have slipped the surly bonds of earth and danced the skies on laughter-silvered wings. Sunward I've climbed, enjoying the tumbling mirth of sun-split clouds and done a hundred things you have not dreamed of. Wheeled and soared and swung high in the sunlit silence. Hovering there, I've chased the shouting wind along and flung my eager craft through footless halls of air. Up, up, the long, delirious, burning blue, I've topped the windswept heights with easy grace where never lark or even eagle flew. And while with silent, lifting mind I've trod the high, untrespassed sanctity of space, put out my hand and touch the face of God. This aviator felt close to God, soaring through the heights. And we are intending to lift our eyes heavenward today and see all that God has for us in glory. It has been a comfort to his people and to his church for all these years to think about upward and heavenward, to think about the home that God's created for us. And when things are difficult here, we know we have a home in heaven where moth and rust do not corrupt where thieves do not break in or steal. We have a home where there are no tears, no sorrow, no pain, and no death. And the full, perfect, and marvelous intention of God for his created beings, we who are human, will be fully fulfilled in that life with him. Now, we embrace the truth of heaven because it makes us strong in the here and now. We embrace the truth that we have a home in heaven when we lose a loved one and we look forward to that reunion. And that is as it should be. Jesus is the one who said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'm going to bring you to me. You can wake up every morning saying, whatever this day brings, whatever troubles and challenges I have, heaven is my home. God has prepared it for me. He has prepared me to live there. Not because I'm perfect, but because Jesus died for me. See, the wonder of heaven for we people upon the planet is that when we show up in heaven, we're going to turn the heads of angels because they're going to look at us and say, what's he doing here? And for the ages to come, we are going to be testimonies of the glory of God who shines forth his light and wonder in his grace toward us. We don't naturally belong there. We are sinners, but we are saved by the grace of God and inherit our eternal home through the work of Christ upon the cross. Heaven is wonderful to look forward to. Embrace the truth of the ascension that Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords and sits upon the throne of glory. 
and embrace the truth of heaven that God prepares a home for us and we are his prepared people for this prepared destination. Embrace the life you have in the here and now. The angels, I think, are a little bit puzzled that the apostles, they seem frozen, motionless, looking up into the sky. Jesus has disappeared, and they're still gazing upward, and they ask, why are you standing here looking up into heaven? What's going on in that mind of yours looking up like this? Are you thinking that he's going to come right back? Just like you saw him go, that he'll come immediately back? Are you thinking that you're going to go with him and he's going to take you out of the world just as he went? Are you afraid to be in the world while he's gone? I suppose it could be possible to be so heavenly-minded that you are no earthly good. Maybe, maybe that's possible. I think it'd be hard. But I guess you could be so stuck in time, so motionless, so frozen looking into heaven, so fixed there that you never got done what God called for you to do here. Teresa Bovier told me just a minute ago, she said it'd be terrible to stand before God and him ask you, hey, what'd you do with the platform I gave you? We need to embrace life here. The incarnation itself, God becoming man and Jesus of Nazareth is a statement that life on the planet is good. That it is good to be human and good to be walking around here. And we need to affirm it. Yes, there are some days when you wonder maybe if people in the earth are just not going to hell in a handbasket. Some people even think that this is hell and that's heaven up there. I've never had the sense that this is hell. I've always had much more of a sense that I'm living in the presence of God who loves me and he's given me a job to do and this is heaven. This must be what heaven is like sometimes I think in my heart. Sometimes I say it out loud. Don't you sometimes? God is so close and real and the joy just flows in you and you got the peace of the Lord in your heart and you think this has got to be what heaven's like. I'm looking forward to heaven one day because I'm getting a taste of it now. And everybody should embrace the time, the years God gives you on the planet. It would be sad for you to show up in heaven one day and God to look at you and say, what, what were you, why do you think I left you there? I didn't want you to hide out. I didn't want you to build a wall around yourself, protect yourself from all the hurt and pain in the world. That's not what I wanted for you. I left you there so you would go and be involved in your world. I prayed for every time I visit her, Maggie Edwards. I never prayed the prayer, though, that she prayed every day. She told me that she prayed it, and she prayed it every day. She was 97 years old, and I visited her on a weekly basis, and I never prayed the prayer that she prayed every day because she prayed every day that she would die it was her daily prayer. 
And though I talk to her about God leaves us here for a purpose, you have a reason to be here. You have the gift of vocalization. You can talk to me and others. You can pray for us. You can encourage those around us. You can encourage your family. God has given you things that you can do. But miserably, for the 10 last years of her life, she prayed every day that she would die. I would rather you prayed, God, let me live today. Let me live in the fullness of your spirit. Let me live in the wonder of your grace. Let me live with the instructions you gave us before you left. Let me live with the power of the Holy Spirit to do what you've called me to do. Though there is darkness in the world and there is pain and trouble in the world and sometimes it feels overwhelming, God left you here to carry his love to a world that needs him. So embrace the life you have on the planet, all right? And get ready to give a good report to Jesus on the day he calls you home. I was hoping that Leonard Galman could be with us today. I'm not sure he is. Leonard, are you here? Are his siblings here? There they are, right back there. Lawrence, and I'm not sure all of them. Their 17-year-old brother is on the front page of the Times-Picayune today with a great big article and his story. Yes. Yeah. Leonard's mother was 13 years old when she gave birth to him, and he was four when his father was murdered in the streets of New Orleans. Leonard went to the school ranked last in Orleans Parish. 38% of those students graduated from high school. But Leonard today has a full ride to Yale University. Yeah. Hey. And that didn't happen by accident. Somebody saw in Leonard the potential and the opportunity, the design God gave him, and he became an artist, and he's a wonderful artist. And it was teachers and people in the neighborhood. Yeah, some folks who worked for the church and volunteers who cared for him, saw his family, watched over him, gave him good counsel. He got a glimpse of the possibilities and his life's going to be different because of it. In a little bit, you're going to hear a story from the Juvenile Detention Center in Jefferson Parish. And I want you to hear Frank Catalanato when he talks about seeing those guys who are on the inside, on the outside, and what God's doing with them. You could say to yourself, there's too much trouble, there's too much disease, there's too much violence in the world. Nobody can stop this tidal wave. I'm just going to try to get my piece of the pie and get what's due me and try to live without 
getting hurt, and that's my assignment on life. I'm going to take care of old number one, me. And Jesus would say, if that's the way you're going to live, that's death. You hang on to your life like that, you're going to lose it. There's another way to live, and it's full of the power of the Holy Spirit, and this is how you do it. You give that life of yours away in love for God and others. You pour out your life every day. You find somebody to love. You love them on purpose. You love them intentionally. You care for them in their need. And as you care for them and extend your life to them, God pours life into you. Jesus said, this is life. You will really live. Love your neighbor. Love God with all your heart, the expert in the law said. And Jesus said, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will really live. There's a life for you, a transforming, powerful life for you that you can live out in the community of which you are a part. Embracing the moment that you have. Not being negative toward everything around you but instead saying, God, use me to make a difference in my life, in my community. It is a wonderful way to live. Embrace the life God has given you. And embrace the truth of his coming again. You could think every day about the fact that this day could be your last. You've heard of the emperor who had the servant that went around with him all the time and said to him this could be the day that you die you could die today the emperor said that he wanted to be continually reminded of the shortness of life and you could think about that that this may be your last day and maybe every day get up with the intention to live this as if you were your last. But I think there's another way to live your life that might be more full even of power, the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. And that is the way that Jesus taught us to live. And it's like this. Every day when I give up, get up, I say to myself, this could be the day that Jesus comes back for us. This could be the day when the skies break open. This could be the day when the glory falls. This could be the day when God calls his church home. This could be the day. And to live in this expectation of the coming of the Lord for you is empowering. It, it changes your vision. It changes your perspective. It helps you see, see things in a different way. They say the ascension happened in the region of Bethany. One reference says on the Mount of Olives. That's an interesting perspective on the Mount of Olives. Have you ever been there? How many of you have been to the Mount of Olives? Yeah. When you stand in the Mount of Olives and you look west, you see the Temple Mount, which is now crowned with the Dome of the Rock, a gray gold dome. And across the vision laterally of this picture runs the old wall of Jerusalem north to south. You can see both ends as you look at it, and it's a 
rather steep hill. It goes down into the Kidron Valley that lays there at your feet. And rising from the Kidron Valley all over the face of the Mount of Olives, there are thousands and thousands of graves. It surely must be one of the oldest, largest graveyards in the world. And buried in those graves are prophets and kings, names you've heard about from ancient history. Maybe even Lazarus was buried in one of those tombs. I don't know where Jesus called him forth, but Bethany's not too far away. When I stood there, I thought about that and wondered, I wonder if Lazarus might have been close to here when he was put in the ground. The perspective from the Mount of Olives is amazing. To see the Temple Mount and the graves at your feet You want to lift your eyes from the grave to the temple. You want to have that perspective that says, Lord, I know the graves are here, but I see the mountain, and I want, want to live with my eyes fixed upon it. Embrace the truth that Jesus, who ascended into heaven, is coming back for you. Now, this same Jesus is returning. It's easy to slip into a theological error and suppose that when Jesus comes the second time, it's going to be all contrast to the first. The first time he came in humility, the second time he comes in exaltation. You've all heard the sermons. But it's this same Jesus who's coming back for us and I get lots of comfort and peace thinking about Jesus coming for me who told the sermon of the good, good Samaritan and the story of the prodigal son who called Zacchaeus out of that tree and said, I'm going home with you today who heard the cry of Bartimaeus and healed that blind man's eyes who cleansed ten lepers though only one said thank you this same Jesus the marvelous preacher of Galilee so eloquent his enemies stumbled away from the meeting lost in awe at his words this same Jesus full of truth and grace revealed to us the very nature and heart of the creator God who made us this is the most full-orbed, the wonderful portrayal of the nature of God in Jesus of Nazareth. Not a skewed portrayal. Not a character of God. Not a slice or piece. But God in his splendor and majesty revealed in his son, Jesus. So, of course... It's not another Jesus who's coming back for us. But this same Jesus who is King of kings and Lord of lords, to fix your eyes on heaven and to expect him every day is what he intended for you. That's why it's not for you to know the time or the date. The Father has set by his own authority. It's not for you to know. Instead, it's for you to know this one thing. He's coming back. 
He's coming back, and I need to be ready. I need to be expecting him. I'm looking for him today. I am looking upward for the one who keeps me busy in the world where he has planted me. I'm looking upward for Jesus who saved me by his grace. Do you know the most important question for you in all of life is this? What will you do with Jesus who is called the Christ? I call him the promised one. I testify that he is, that he changed my life, forgave my sin, and made me new in him. What will you do with Jesus? The most important question ever put to human ears. Have you given your answer yet? Have you given the answer about Jesus? Maybe today, this Memorial Day, when we remember those who have gone before, we are reminded of the importance again of making and giving our answer to God. In a moment, you may want to pray, Lord, I've never, give, never given you my answer before, but I want to do it now. I confess I am a sinner in need of your forgiveness. I pray that you will forgive me. I acknowledge you as Lord, and I open my life to you and receive you as Savior. Jesus knocks on the door. Scripture says if anybody opens the door and comes and he will come in and have fellowship with that person. John says as many as receive Jesus to those people, he gives the transforming power to become the children of God. Let's bow together. Somebody in this room has been thinking about giving their answer to Jesus. He hasn't done it yet. And the Holy Spirit is, is prompting you. Thank you, God, that you're alive in this room right now, that you are present with us. Whoever you are, man or woman, boy or girl, I pray that you will open your life to Christ now, that you will give your answer to God, receiving Christ as Savior, confessing your sin to him, committing your life to him. God, make this a wonderful day for somebody in this room who casts themselves upon you and trust in Christ and Christ alone. Lord, I pray for those who have wandered away and not been really useful in the world where you have left them, that today we would all recommit ourselves to the things that last forever and the things that matter most, that we would stay steadfast and unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that our labors for the Lord are never in vain. God, do your work in us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.